Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Talitha Towers Foundation has supported our nation's heroes and their families ever since. Heroes like Marine Corps Sergeant Adam Mayo. He served our nation for over seven years before he was severely injured during training. He was left paralyzed from the chest down, severely limiting his ability to move around his home independently. Talitha Towers paid Sergeant Mayo's mortgage, removing a financial burden for him and his family. The foundation gave him a specially adapted smart home designed for his specific needs. Tunnel to Towers helps severely injured service members and first responders, as well as Gold Star families and the families of fallen first responders. It has already come to the aid of so many heroes and their families by providing mortgage-free homes. The foundation is also committed to eradicating veteran homelessness. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. 95 cents of every dollar goes directly to their programs. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. We're very pleased on this episode. Our friend Ryan Gurdusky joins us. He is the guy who writes the National Populist uh, newsletter on Substack, which you should all subscribe to. I am a subscriber uh, and uh, always look forward to new Substacks as they are published there. He's also a political consultant, perhaps a political wizard on his best days. Great to have you, Ryan. Thanks for having me. So let's start with uh, American voter in 2024. You you crunched the numbers. You looked at the data. It's about to get real, right? We got a Republican debate coming up soon. It's going to be the primaries. Before we know it, people are going to be casting ballots. What do folks need to know about how 2024 is shaping up by the numbers so far? Well, the biggest thing is what what is the demographics of the country going to look like? That's a big, big question. You know, when George Bush ran in 2004, the country was almost 80 percent of the voting electorate was white. You go to some swing states like Florida, oh, no, sorry, North Carolina, uh, North Carolina was a biracial state. It was just black and white. I mean, non people who are not black, not white were less than two percent of the voting population. Those things aren't the same, aren't true anymore at all. 
And I think what happens in people's heads specifically is they get frozen in time. You know, the population of voters who will be millennials and Zoomers will be up substantially. There were basically no Zoomers in, there were none at all in 16, and there were very few in 2020. There'll be substantially millions more in 2024. Um, and a lot of the biggest swing states, like North Carolina, again, Arizona, um, Florida, have had population growth that exceed the amount, the margins of previous election cycles. So just because something happened four or eight years ago, because the net migration, interstate net migration, let alone forget about immigration, net state interstate migration is so large and so profound, the, pop, the fixed population and the fixed voting demographics have changed substantially. And that's what we'll forget mostly. Now, what is the biggest up for grabs voting demographic for 2024? Like, if you could. Well, I, I mean, I, I, yeah, I make, I mean, there has been substantial change in the Asian and Hispanic vote. And I'll take an example of New York City, for example. New York City in Bronx, which you know the Bronx. The Bronx is a very heavily, heavily Hispanic majority population with no functional Republican Party. There is no Republican Party in the Bronx. There might as well not be. Um, their population, people who voted Republican in that county, almost doubled from some 2016 to 2020. And then in 2021, there was the mayoral election and the population of people voting Republican increased, even as the Republican candidate for mayor got like 28% in the city. And then if you look at the governor's race, which was more competitive, obviously, the population of Republicans voting in that county increased again. Republicans did not gain any new votes from 2022, from 2020 to 2022, but they did not lose any support amongst Hispanics. So one of the biggest things is that probably the Hispanic baseline level for Republicans is higher than it was just, you know, six years ago, eight years ago, where the number would be in the mid-20s. It's probably in the mid-30s now. A great candidate, a great campaign, you could probably get into the low 40s, which is good, but you have to remember a lot of Hispanics live in places that are not competitive. California, Illinois, New York, New Jersey. It makes it a little, it makes their vote increase important, but less so than um, than it would be with black voters, if black voters are moving, which they're not moving. Asian voters similarly, and local elections have started moving Republican. I don't know if that will carry to federal elections, this is different issues, but certainly on crime and a number of issues, Republican voters, and I take it back to New York City, Republican Asian voters move 50 points right from 2018 to 2022, um, and especially in Chinatown, Brooklyn, and Chinatown and Queens. If you look at the, and if you look at 2022, one of the places, totally non-competitive, no functioning Republican Party, a place Republicans grew a lot of support, was in Hawaii, of all places. Uh, very weak Republican Party there, but the Asian vote did move right and help Republicans elect three state legislators that they didn't have before. But the biggest vote where it matters, where the votes matter, go, um, uh, in large portions, are the non-college educated whites still. In 2020, people have a picture in their head that the average Biden voter is a college-educated woman or a black woman. That is the portrayal the media puts out there. The biggest demographic of Biden voters were non-college-educated white voters. 32%, one out of every three Biden voters, was non-college-educated white people. Overall, 26 million Americans. About 20% of that population supports building a border wall. About 30% uh, supports banning abortion after 24 weeks, 20 weeks, something like that. 
Um, they have a, a number of conservative things. It's one in five. Uh, it's one in five non-college educated whites within one of three voters is six percent of the Biden base is movable, which is about six million voters. That is substantial in an election where the elections in the last two presidential cycles have been have been decided by under 100,000 votes in swing states. And the biggest populations of non-college educated whites are the Rust Belts, which is up for grabs, places like New Hampshire, Maine second congressional, and substantial portions in places still like North Carolina, which is a large population of non-college educated whites. Um, I would think that that is one place that they could focus on substantially. Um, if there was an effort by the GOP to register those voters, there's still over 40 million non-college educated whites who are not registered to vote as of 2016. May let's say it's 35 million today. It's a lot of people. Um, th those are the places that are the easiest up for grabs and the easiest places Republicans can gain support. Because at the same time, they're losing support still among college educated white voters, and that vote is receding. Remember that when people think of like the Bush years 25 years ago, um, and they think, uh, or 20 years ago, and they think of an old voter in that time, they're talking about the greatest generation. That generation has died out. The generation that's replacing as an old voter is the silence. And people think of the silent generation almost as intertwined with the greatest generation very close. But um, there's a great book called Generations that I just read by Jeanette Twenge, I think it is. It's a very long book, full of data. And the silent generation are are much more left-wing than the greatest generation were. Silent generation is a generation that did Stonewall, that were the hippie generation. They were the one who went to Woodstock, not the, not the baby boomers. The baby boomers adapted to their cultural changes, but the people who led the big changes culturally in the 60s was the was Joe Biden generation, not, you know, not our, our you know, parents' boomer generation. They just grew up in it. Um, and I think that's important to realize. So you'll have an aging off of the more conservative voters and you have a lot of more progressive voters and uh, coming up through Generation Z and you have um, and you have college educated whites continuing to leave the GOP. So to make up for that in the millions you need to make up for that, the non-college educated white vote is still the largest voting demographic, you know, along with working class Hispanics to get. I know it's a very long-winded answer. <laughs> no, it's it's uh, it's important data. I want to come back and ask you how you think the Republican nominee, uh, whoever he ends up being, probably Trump, but whoever it ends up being, can chip away at Biden's white, uh, non-college educated voter base. But we'll, we'll, we'll talk because I think that's something that Trump did in 2016, clearly against Hillary. Right. So this is a, a central battleground politically going in the next election. We'll get into that in one second. But first up. You know, there are some people that still think the economy is going to tank, at least the market's going to tank in the months ahead, and things could get ugly out there. Plus, with inflation where it is, how do you protect your assets? What can you actually do to diversify? You need to check out real gold and real silver. Gold and silver can be protection for your portfolio. It's a good hedge. It's something you want to have as part of a diversification strategy. I have gold and silver here at home, and I get mine from the Oxford Gold Group. Oxford Gold Group. That's who you can go to. It's who you can trust to help you set up real gold and silver you can hold in your hand that comes right to your door discreetly, and you'll be able to actually keep possession of that yourself. Call the Oxford Gold Group. It's who I use. It's who I trust. The call is free. The people on the other end of the line are trustworthy and knowledgeable in this area of precious metals. 833-707-GOLD. 833-707-GOLD. That's 833-707-GOLD. How does a Republican 
get enough of the Biden white non-college educated vote to beat Biden in the key states? I think, well, I mean, there are certain things working their advantage. The border is a disaster and people are very well aware of that. Inflation is super high. I read a CNN headline, although I did not read the article, um, admittedly, that uh, average prices are up $800 from two years ago for the average household monthly items. And that would be a very, very big thing. I spoke to a Biden voter who is someone I know not super well, but she started bringing up politics and she said, I'll just deal with the mean tweets. I'm going to vote for Trump. Um, non-college educated, white, white working class um, woman, single woman, um, even though she's pro-choice and all the rest of it. So the economy is working in their favor for sure. I think a linchpin for a lot of people who are working class that Republicans have failed to address in a meaningful way is health care. I think that there's a big, big, big loophole. I don't really know the Republican health care plan um, of any major candidate. I don't think that there is a way that they have addressed that succinctly that people understand. Using terms like free market, let the free market decide, means we'll see how it goes and we'll wing it. Things like trying to bring up accessibility, prices, and, um, and costs are really where the major factors are. So if we don't want a, an alternative of socialized medicine, and there's a lot of pitfalls to it, what are we gonna do to make healthcare more affordable and a better option for people who, you know, they're living paycheck by paycheck. I know from my personal health insurance that I pay uh, out of my company is like 1,200 a month. Uh, I don't really know a lot of people who be able, if they have a family of four um, and the company doesn't pay for all of it, it's in the thousands a month. And I don't know a lot of people who could sit there and do it. So, um, or they either get Obamacare or crappy healthcare or they just settle for no healthcare. So I think that's a major, major focal point that the Republicans have failed to address. And I think that it's a major um, it's a major issue within the GOP. If you look at wait, wait, where wait, 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 can the, I, I'm going to have to jump in because otherwise you're telling us brilliant stuff. But I need, does anyone on the GOP side have a, a health care platform yet that they have articulated? Does that even if you ask me right now, I, I do this for a living. I'm not aware of it. I don't know. I've never heard of one. I mean, uh, rallying against Obamacare was very effective when Obamacare was new, it's kind of settled in. When people, when Republicans give standard answers like the free market, that doesn't mean anything to a lot of people. And it's a very, it's a scary idea is you're just gonna not gonna have healthcare and then eventually the corporations who you kind of feel have like hurt you over the past with healthcare are, are gonna screw you over again. And I think that's why we're probably, this is not a prediction, but this is just like where the public is going. They're gonna get closer and closer towards a socialized healthcare thing, at least for probably emergency care. Um, you know, J.D. Vance is out there as a Republican, and he used to talking about trying to make at least uh, health care for baby deliveries free. I just think that this is going to be the natural movement of, of most voters over time, and I think that this is a major hiccup. Um, but I said before about Wait, perception. Can I ask you a question? How, how do we make health care? I mean, because I, I agree that's been the trajectory. How do we handle making health care free when we're setting up refugee camps for illegals in New York City and other places? You know what I mean? How are we going to yeah, do Yeah, that? that's a great question. You can't. I mean, not without bankrupting the system. Um, and these cities and states are already going bankrupt. There was a great article, by the way, totally side note, in The City, which is a good publication about New York City, but it's a total left wing. Everyone's a liberal. And their article was like, because they have the city council elections this year in New York, and they said city council candidates sound more and more like Republicans on immigration and migrants.
So it was just very, very cool how, you know, when it's happening in their backyard, all of a sudden everyone is, uh, you know, Joe Arpaio. Not really that much, not that extent, but they're definitely more hawkish on immigration than they were. Um, but yeah, you can't, I mean, everyone acknowledges you can't have a welfare system and have open borders. Joe Biden famously, which I don't know why Republicans did not pounce on greater in 2020, sat there and said he wanted free health care for illegal aliens. I mean, that's the magnet bringing them all over. I, I don't, you know, if you can have an economic argument on migration issues, the reason that part of, a big part of the reason we don't have affordable housing in this country is because everybody wants to live in the same 25 metropolitan areas. No one wants to live in the Nevada desert. Just, they don't want to. They don't want to live in Wyoming. They don't want to live in Northern New Hampshire. They want to live in the same 25 metro areas that everybody else wants to live in. And even though we're building over a million homes a year, when you take in 1.2, 1.3 million people legally, and then you have a bunch of 18 year olds turning 18 wanting to buy homes and people living longer, it creates an immense crush when it comes to housing. Um, migration is a big part of that. Uh, healthcare is a big part of that. I think that there is an economic argument towards migration that people are not bringing up um, that could definitely sway over some working class people, especially as more and more of them are seeing these migrant cities, migrants, you know, crunching the numbers in all local towns. Massachusetts declared a state of emergency over migration. And they're only spending $50 million, I think, a month right now. New York City is spending $12 billion in the next two years. One in $10 is going to migrants in New York City's budget. I just don't understand how anyone thinks this is sustainable, but, but it also, uh, it also well, they're going to call for federal bailouts. They already are calling for federal bailouts, which I think is fascinating because it means the usual thing that I get when I talk about this issue, Ryan, is people who live in Nebraska are like, whatever, sucks for New York. Well, actually, what they're hoping to do is to bail out New York with the tax dollars that people everywhere across the country, right? Yeah. Or at least to run up the debt even more. But the... This storyline for so many years was illegals do the jobs Americans won't do. You know, you get some Cato Institute flax who will say, oh, illegals, all they do is contribute to the economy. We need them or Social Security is going to fall apart. And some of us are sitting here saying, first of all, they're coming to the country illegally. Second of all, they're lying to Border Patrol about why they're coming. Uh, They're scamming the system. They overwhelmingly don't speak English. They are semi-literate at best in any language. They have no discernible skills. They have no background checks that have been run, and they're going to be able to compete and be a net contributor in an increasingly information-based economy? In an economy that is rapidly mechanizing low-skilled jobs, in an economy that's rapidly... You've gone to McDonald's recently. I mean, maybe you probably haven't, but they're all robots. I mean... And a lot of McDonald's, there are robots taking your order and there are robots serving you food. And there are robots, growing up, you wanted to go from New York to New Jersey, you had to sit and wait in line to throw a quarter or give a dollar to a lady in a booth. There's no more ladies in a booth, it's all robots. We are mechanizing low-skilled jobs across this country. So how do you have a 21st century economy with a 20th century labor force? No one. There's a way to articulate that in a profound way. There are brilliant immigrants that come to this country. There are scientists. There are data researchers. There maybe is the next Albert Einstein sitting somewhere in some place, but the overwhelming number aren't. And it's so my my favorite like stupid libertarian argument is like, oh, you know, X amount of billionaires have come to uh, uh, people who made billion dollar companies have come from as immigrants. If you ever look at the countries they come from, it's like 85% Western Europe, Israel, East Asia, and Australia or Canada. 
Like, it doesn't match our immigration populations at all. Like, the, like there's four from Africa and one is Elon Musk. So like there's almost none from like Central America or South America. So we don't have, where our immigration policy is a 20th century immigration policy for a 21st century economy. It doesn't match up at all. Um, and it causes other economic problems, partially in healthcare, partially in um, education costs, partially in housing costs. Those are real working class concerns, even concerns for younger people that you have to seriously sit there and address. And maybe some people don't want to hear. Maybe they're like, no, you know, this is against my ideas and America is a nation of immigrants and they've been fed certain lines for so long they believe them. But there isn't a population where you're not scapegoating immigrants. You're not sitting there and saying, you know, these people are the problem. You're saying, if you continue the way that you are, had we kept the immigration numbers of 1999, which were 650,000 a year, it's not a small number, we would have had 25 million fewer people in America today. 25 million fewer people is a, probably a net of 8 million empty homes today. 8 million empty homes would have reduced the overall prices by probably 10%. And it wouldn't be such a huge home crunch right now in many places. And not just hot spots like Miami. People can't afford homes in, you know, uh, Pennsylvania. People can't afford homes in a lot of parts of this country. So, uh, so I think that that's a very interesting point and one I would like to sit there and hear from. And I like to sit there and hear from um, people from uh, about like what's real, what's real needs. In the article I, I wrote uh, from the American Conservative, the number one issue people talk about is the economy. Number two is inflation, um, and then number like four is immigration. There is a way to tie this up and connect these things, while addressing the biggest concerns of housing costs, healthcare costs, and um, and economic job growth. I want to ask you about. Uh, this RFK phenomenon to the degree that it is a phenomenon <laughs> and whether, yeah, I, I, know, I knew you were laughing, but it's real. But, right, right. Well, can we, we'll talk about this in, in just a second because the only people I ever hear talking about RFK are Trump voting Republicans. That's that, that is just yeah. my experience. The only people I've ever heard bring him up anywhere on TV, anywhere else pretty much is, and when I say bring him up, like talk about him as a serious political force, you know, they'll, people will cover him in the news, but we're, we're going to, we're going to get Gavin and yeah, yeah, we're, we're going to get to this in one second. The artificial intelligence gold rush could soon be creating wealth for ambitious, indivi ambitious individuals understanding this technology. But while everyone is focusing on ChatGPT and AI stocks like NVIDIA, something incredible is happening less than two miles from ChatGPT's headquarters. For the past few months, engineers from Google and Microsoft have been working on a little-known crypto project that could revolutionize the AI industry. You have a chance to get on the ground floor for this pro of this project. You could turn $1,000 into a serious nest egg. All this information comes from Tika Tawari, the man who picked the top crypto six years in a row. Go to AICoin2023.com to sign up for this free event. That's AICoin2023.com, paid for by Palm Beach Research Group. Uh, RFK Jr., Gavin Newsom is going to take over for Biden. Where does all this stuff stand? I, I want to pull my hair out because I get people that not only do they think that's going to happen, they think I'm, I'm silly for not recognizing that Joe Biden, uh, I mean, it's almost 2020, like we're going to be in 2024 here in the blink of an eye, is just going to allow there to be a Democrat primary at the last minute because. Uh, also, I mean, it's it's not like there are, there's an old joke in politics that every elected official from the dog catcher to the governor is going to be president. Um, 
if Joe Biden was as vulnerable, there is no way in this world that Pritzker, the governor of Illinois, wouldn't seriously be considering a run. Gretchen Whitmer, governor of Michigan, wouldn't seriously be considering a run. Um, Jared Pohl is probably, governor of Colorado is probably seriously considering a run. Not to mention like the Cory Bookers and the people who just want to be president so badly, who are more of a joke, but also, and Bernie Sanders to a point too. Um, they're all not, there would be no plausible way that they would all be sitting out of it and just let Gavin Newsom have it because they all want to be president. So it's not that I don't think Joe Biden is vulnerable. I think he is vulnerable to a part, to a point, but if he drops out, it's going to be a mad rush. And also Kamala, like we, it's America of 2023. We know how Democrats talk about race and identity. There is no way that they are going to just skip over the first half Asian, half black female vice president to give it to a white straight guy from California. I, there's just, it's just not, it's not working. I've never heard, by the way, a Democrat ever talk about Gavin Newsom, ever. I've never heard of it. I've heard them talk about their fantasy people, the people they love, even Buttigieg and people that Republicans roll their eyes at. I have never in my life heard one Democrat say, you know, Gavin Newsom, he'd be a great, great president. So what happens there? Like, I mean, do, you, do you just think that Biden becomes the guy going forward and, and or, or that rather stays the guy going forward and all this talk is just something that the pundits have? Because to me, why would you give up the incumbency to allow there to be some kind of a fight over this? 3D chess, Hunter's going to jail, yada, yada, Merrick Garland's happy. I mean, there's a lot of things that, that they talk about in relation to Hunter and Merrick Garland's, you know, special like indictment of Hunter. Here's the bigger question. Would Joe Biden be in a better position to help his son as president or as not president? We all know the answer is as president. So if if like the if the if the conspiracy theory about Trump, not the conspiracy, but if the opinion about Trump is he's running for president so he doesn't go to jail, and there is an equal theory that Hunter should go to jail in a just world, and maybe there's a lot of merit to that. Would Joe Biden be in a better position, or Joe Biden would be forced to retire because Hunter is going to jail? Would Joe be in a better position up his son as president or not as president? The answer is as president. So it it makes literally no sense in my in my calculation. And once again, you have I've said this to you on the radio. I think uh, you have till December like fourteenth to qualify for the Democratic primaries. So, I mean, we have a few months. Maybe they'd all rush in the barn and Joe, I mean, Joe is probably 100 days to the side then and I want to retire or I don't feel up to it or, you know, whatever. But you'd have 100 days. And after that point, it's, uh, the, the field will be who it is. And I don't, I don't see how, I don't see how, uh, you know, how it's going to change. Also, the DNC would have to start doing debates and stuff like that, which aren't even on the schedule yet. It would be very, very, very difficult. And the person with the highest name ID going in in that short period of time is Kamala Harris. Whether people think that she's a joke, and I think that she's a joke as well, Democrats generally like her, and she has the highest name ID. So how do you think that all this all this uh, prosecution of Trump stuff, do we have any indications about what this does to independent voters? Do they rally to Trump? Do they get kind of pushed away from Trump. Do we have any sense of this at all? Do you honestly believe that there is a woman sitting in the suburbs of Atlanta who voted for Trump in 16, couldn't take him for all the mean tweets in 20, and are going to look at this and say, you know, give him a second chance. He has 80 indictments going on. 
I mean, and and what scenario does all of this pressure from the federal government make Trump act in a better light to those voters? I, I have a hard time seeing it. I think that you'll have a lot of people, you may have a lot of people who are on the lower tier of the ladder, of the economic ladder, who feel like, damn, he is like me. You know, I would not have, I would get screwed too. Maybe there is even some black voters or some, some Hispanic voters who feel this way, that they have been on the wrong side of the law and unfairly prosecuted. But I find it to be a bit of a pipe dream. I, I imagine this doesn't help him. Um, substantially. And if you look at all the polls that show a tight race between Biden and Trump, the biggest thing to remember is that both have a hundred percent name ID. There's not a single person in this country who doesn't know who Joe Biden or Donald Trump are. are. And if they do, I wish I was them because they are living a very happy life. But if you don't, everyone else knows who they are and they both are polling generally under 45%, which is if you're uh, in campaign world, if an incumbent's polling under 45%, you're like, oh, this is great because there's a lot of uncertainty with the electorate. That's where the election is decided. This uncertainty who knows Biden, who knows Trump, they don't like either one of them, which is probably between 15 and 20% of the country. And it's ultimately what coin toss do they flipped? Is it, I trust Trump to fix the economy. He was not that bad of a president. Times were better, you know, four years ago. Or is it people like, Trump is an unserious person, he's deranged, he's talking about things like January 6th again, and um, this is not who I want representing me in the country. That's really where the dividing line is, and also there'll be two issues which will be, I'm sure abortion is going to be a huge issue, and also the January 6th stuff. So um, we'll see which play a heavier hand and, and move people's minds, but that's really the biggest question right now, because if it's Trump versus Biden, there will be no voter who's learning new information. It's just a matter of the people who like dislike them both, you know, who do they show for? And it's also among the base of who am I more inspired to vote for? I think Trump will probably win that battle as far as intensity goes. Um, but there'll be a lot of Republicans, probably the New York Times website had 6% of the Republican electorate who said they would not vote for him in a general. So there'll be a substantial who either voting third party or voting for Biden. And who knows, maybe we'll get into a, a 2016 you know, case where there'll be a third party candidate who eats up 3% of the election and throws the election either which way. Happened twice in the last 20 years, so it wouldn't be shocking if it happened a third time. Ryan Gerdusky, everybody. Subscribe to the National Populist Newsletter on Substack, and uh, he will be bringing you all these insights. And you can also probably email him and yell at him there for not being sufficiently supportive <laughs> of Donald Trump as the nominee. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, Ryan, thank you very much. Man. Thanks for hanging out. I appreciate it. Bye. Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has supported our nation's heroes and their families ever since. Heroes like Marine Corps Sergeant Adam Mayo. He served our nation for over seven years before he was severely injured during training. He was left paralyzed from the chest down, severely limiting his ability to move around his home independently. Tunnel to Towers paid Sergeant Mayo's mortgage, removing a financial burden for him and his family. The foundation gave him a specially adapted smart home designed for his specific needs. Tunnel to Towers helped severely injured service members and first responders, as well as Gold Star families and the families of fallen first responders. It has already come to the aid of so many heroes and their families by providing mortgage-free homes. The foundation is also committed to eradicating veteran homelessness. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. 
95 cents of every dollar goes directly to their programs. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 